Welcome back to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. My guest this week is editor-in-chief of GQ Style, Will Welch. We discussed his Atlanta roots, his decade-long tenure at GQ, and how he helped transform GQ Style from a supplement into a standalone quarterly magazine. Let's do it. Okay. All right. We're doing it. Let's go. So, Will Welch, yes. editor-in-chief of GQ Style, um, who sits like a king behind <laughs> this awesome tie-dye wall. It's pretty cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's by this Canadian dude named Courtenay Pollock, who used to do the tie-dyed stage backdrops for The Grateful Dead and the tie-dyed um, speaker covers. Oh, yeah? And... Yeah, he's an old hippie dude who lives in Canada, and he'll make you a custom tie-dye if you want. So this is a big one. I don't know how big that is. It's like six feet by five feet or something. And um, It's big. He asked for my birthday. I told him like the colors I wanted and stuff uh, based on another one he had done and already sold, and he asked for my birthday so he could do my chart. Your like star chart? Yeah, before making my tie-dye. It was awesome. Whoa. Yeah. So I need to... Um, hang it more properly but for now binder clips right on that's fine you're kind of a deadhead right i mean i just noticed the grateful dead mouse pad i've seen the bears before yeah the bears make an appearance for a long time i was against the dancing bears because they didn't have that like hard edge of all the steal your fate like the skulls and all that yeah um but i've recently embraced the joy of the dancing bears but yes i uh I think I would call myself I, w- I would call myself a deadhead, and um, I basically grew up in Atlanta listening to the Dave Grateful Dead through my best friend's father, who was a hardcore deadhead. Right. He went into a, like a three day K hole when Jerry died. Oh no! Because I was at their house at the time, and yeah, yeah, yeah. not an actual K hole with special K. He just was very <laughs> depressed. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um. <laughs> You'd mentioned Atlanta. And I think one of the things, you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your background and obviously how you got to where you are. You're coming up on almost 10 years. You said 10 years in April at yes, GQ. At GQ. Yeah. Nest, mm-hmm. And just kind of figure out like how some of that stuff has really changed, especially in terms of your writing and, sure. and now how you even said you're doing less writing and focusing on building a book. Yep. So Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, born and grown. How, so how long were you, I mean, born and grown like you were there until college or yeah i was there uh until i was 18 and then i moved to new york and went to college at columbia and have been in new york ever since so you never left never left new york family still there family is still in in the a yes yeah in the a in the a so i mean i've met a few guys from atlanta Mm -hmm. and you don't really strike me as a guy from Atlanta, and I only say that. I don't know if that's a compliment or a diss. I'm just going to take it neutrally. No, no, it's neither. It's neither. It's. Uh, I think it's maybe it's because you've been in New York for so long. Maybe so. Yeah. You know, but you got this kind of cool sort of bohemian vibe, um, and well, I felt like an outsider growing up in Atlanta in a lot of ways. I mean, that's not strange to feel like an outsider in high school. That's right. Like, that everyone feels like an outsider, but I definitely was. Um, uh, I look back very fondly on Atlanta and my childhood and high school years and all that stuff. And, and I love going back there. Um, but at the time I was ready to get the hell out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I came to New York after high school too. And I was like, <laughs> I was in St. Louis yeah. and I was like, I hate this. I've, I, I had these big glasses that were like kind of 
you know, Jim Moore looking aviator things yeah. and I wore them and I got called, you know, stupid gay dude and things yeah, like yeah. that. And I came to New York and all of a sudden I'm like hanging with the Cobra snake. Which right. is- <laughs> <laughs> wow. And yeah. I was, and I was cool. <laughs> yeah. Instant. If you're hanging with the Cobra snake, it's officially on. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever he is. Good old Mark. Wow. Cobra that snake. just gave me hardcore flashbacks. Yeah. Right. What yeah. did you ever go to Miss Shapes? Um, yeah, I did all that stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was hanging with the Cobra snake, but I was in the mix. Well, Cause I was at the Fader magazine at those times. So we were, you know, downtown music, uh, world was definitely yeah every night. That's so. so I mean, that, that was kind of what I want to get into is you, yeah. so you're at Columbia, you mm-hmm. go to school there. And how did you end up at the Fader? Cause it, from what I read, you were, you were, uh, a bartender and then you even corrected me and said you were a bar back yeah i was a bar back at the park on 10th avenue yeah or kind of on the west side highway um which was really good money i walked out of there with a wad of cash every night like drunk at 4 30 in the morning trying not to get robbed <laughs> and um not that it was that real in new york in 2003 but you know right uh there are people out there who are aware that people that bar employees across the city are stumbling out oh, yeah. at that AM with pockets full of cash. And the West side highway was, you know, um, not the mean streets back then, but the, you know, you have to be careful. Uh, anyway, so I basically, I was interning at the fader at that time. Um, okay. so I was finishing school and a friend of mine was at a bar in Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is, and Knox Robinson and Eddie Brannon, who were the kind of guys that ran the fader at the time, they mm-hmm. were in Athens doing a story on Vic Chestnut, the great Athens, uh, may he rest in peace, right. um, uh, singer-songwriter, and they were at this bar and they st- struck up a conversation with my friend. I think they were talking shit over a basketball game. and. Uh, my friend was asking what they did and they told him and he was like, Oh, my friend Will's in New York and, uh, he's really into music and writing. And, uh, does either of you have a business card? So Knox Robinson gave my friend his business card and this bar in Athens. And my friend sent me his info. I emailed Knox. We went and, um, had a coffee or something. And then, uh, yeah, they hired me as an intern and I was an intern for the summer and then got a job, a staff job there after like three and a half months. That's pretty quick. I mean, Cause the it, fader, it was lucky. It was like, you know, I think I still owe, owe my friend Malcolm a bottle of whiskey right. for that. <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm. <laughs> the, uh, cause I mean the fader and I mean, was Peskowitz there at the time? Yeah. Peskowitz was a fashion intern. Right. So we were co-interns, uh, in 2003. And, uh, that, I mean, that magazine, you know, like I just walked through the, we're at one world trade and I walked through yeah. the con and asked, I mean, there's a lot of people here. Yeah. Um, and the fader, it was, pretty almost the opposite of that i mean really small slim and scrappy staff. yeah I, in a way gq style with our small scrappy staff is like the perfect fusion of my fader days and my gq days because we're a condé nast magazine and have resources and work in one world trade center but at the same time it's like back to the blood sweat and tears of five people right um which is awesome i mean i couldn't couldn't think of anything better than fusing those two things so yeah in a way, so it's a flashback. You were at the Fader for how long? Four and a half years, 2003 to 2007. Um, and in 2007, I knew Adam Rappaport socially. Um, Adam was the style editor at GQ at the time. The God. Yeah, the G-O-D. Um, I knew Adam um, through, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew Adam socially. And then he, um, called me and he was like, we've got this opening at GQ and you should come 
interview for it and i was kind of like what the hell do i know about gq and style and all that stuff i was like were you, you know, in all black at the time um this- no probably not no I, I wasn't okay but i was just like you know uh long-haired music dude yeah maybe not long hair big-haired music dude and so i sort of i had an interest in style and but i had never written about it or never like done anything that editorial around fashion or style so i was a little like scratching my head he called me on a friday i remember i was apartment hunting in south williamsburg and um walking around and he called me and i was like that's i don't know that i don't know if that makes sense and then by sunday i was like oh wait yeah i'm an idiot i want that job (laughs) so i called him on sunday or monday and was like yeah tell me where to be and i'll be there that's that's pretty cool and i mean rapaport was i mean among others i mean because Jim Nelson had come on as editor in chief somewhat recently around then, right? Yeah, he was uh not he he was a few years in at that point. Yeah. He was pretty established. It wasn't like he was the new editor when, okay. I, when I got here. Yeah. Um but that at least with with Rappaport, I mean that's where like for me like I got super into GQ. I mean yeah. there was the the style closet sort of thing. There was yep. the, the GQ rules. Yep. Um, you know, the the awesome video with Mashburn and right. like Rappaport was always this cool, charismatic guy. Yeah. That ultra opinionated. Yes. Like super clear point of view. Um, you know, that's what makes him uh fun to be around and great at, at his work. So he's now editor in chief of Bon Appetit. Yeah, which is also turned into amazing a magazine, magazine. <laughs> yeah. and they you know it's awesome. There's like there's a real culture uh, around food right now, and they've completely tapped into that, and so I, th- I think that's been awesome to watch. Yeah, they're they're doing great. Yeah, and so so you come into GQ, and then you know Rappaport kind of is he like take you under his wing? I mean, what was it like at the time? As you're you're this new guy at GQ, that's you know I think what this is mid late late. 2000 but pre-aughts that you know yeah, it was 2007 tom brown is like the coolest designer at the time yeah yeah, yeah it was um yeah definitely like tom brown band of outsiders yep. that whole era and um so yeah I, I came here and learned everything from adam for sure um but what was cool is i did all the style stuff for him and i immediately uh, I got here and it's a little intimidating coming from a small magazine to like big Condé Nast magazine, sure. GQ, you know. Um, and But what I found was that people were like, oh, you know music stuff? Why don't you do that? Or nobody said, why don't you do that? I just started doing it and everybody was super into it. So Jim Nelson was really open to that. And um, Alex Papadimus, who was another person with a mm-hmm. – he was a staff writer here at the time and had a music background. And he was like – very supportive of that everyone i just immediately got here to do style like to work on the manual which is the front of book style section Mm -hmm. but immediately started doing all these other things and was nothing but encouraged so it was like a lot of my time was learning from adam and kind of working um you know when you're at gq jim nelson is your boss but uh, adam was my editor on all all the style stuff and so there was like half of my time going to that and then half of my time just getting my hands in everything that i could and uh i don't know i guess in my working life that's what i've always done is just go in there and and bring as much energy as possible across the board wherever i have ideas so Mm -hmm. i think that's why i was able to turn the fader internship into a staff job and and do a lot of stuff there and that was also beneficial for me at gq of just like being confident and really going for it yeah and i'm glad you said that too because like sometimes i'll talk to people and i'll you know ask them where they're at and they're like 
I don't know, man. It was just one good luck thing led to another. And it's like, so did you work at all? And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, you know. And it's like. No, I came in like guns blazing. Yeah, I mean, busting and your always, ass. And always have. You yeah. Know? It's like, if I have an idea, I'm going to speak up and share it and try to get it done. And I happen to have come to this incredible place where there's like very open collaborative environment and the best idea always wins. So that was like, it was a perfect place for me to thrive. Right. And also at the time, I mean, this is. It, and so, again, this is just from my perspective of, of reading GQ again. GQ blew up in terms of this new engagement of also, like, musicians. And I know that, like, yeah. you know, I mean, GQ's been around since the 50s, the late 50s, and, you know, musicians were there before. You know, it wasn't like they were neglected. Right. But maybe it was also a time and culture in which these musicians, like Kanye West and, yeah. you know, like, rappers and, and John Mayer and all these other people are now, like, bigger celebrities and personalities on their own. Yeah. And yeah, there's obviously forever been a major connection between music and style. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I like poured a lot of time and energy into. And I think because of my just like, I guess, native interest in music and love for it and passion for it and my time at the fader, I had a lot of context and I, I think a lot of credibility in that world. And they were definitely already doing it. You know, Jim Nelson himself comes from, uh, he's just really deeply into music so there was always that was always happening and there was always space for it right but i was able to really throw myself at that and then also bring a lot of music to like the fashion pages and to the front of book style stuff so we really like cranked up the volume yeah i think on that and i mean that was just you know awesome i was in my 20s had just gotten to this big magazine and was able to like kind of fuse the thing that I'd been hired to do with the thing that I had been doing and that I cared so much about at a time when that made perfect sense. Right. You know, like you said, the Kanye's of the world were like fashion, fashion, fashion. And, and there was a surging interest in men's style across the board. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was like a kind of mutual cultural relevance. There was a wave yeah. in, the, in the modern parlance. Oh. <laughs> we wouldn't have called it that at the time, but now we can call it a wave. Well, I, I think, too, like, it was something that, you know, I've, you saw slowly kind of come, I guess, from being in New York for a long time and then also going back to the Midwest where I'm from. I could see, you know, okay, at the time, you know, Americana is really big here. And, and now that it's slowly making its way into, uh, you know, into the Midwest and where, where people are like, yo, I right. just got these boots. Where are, what are they? Yeah. Oh, they're Red Wing. Yeah. Oh, dope. Okay. <laughs> but um, in terms of... of you know, what you were doing at GQ at the time. And, and now, you know, these musicians and are kind of like front and center. I mean, that was something that, you know, you totally championed. And also you then got to interview some of these guys, right? I mean, this is, this wasn't really like behind the scenes and that you're just blasting emails or making phone calls. I mean, you, you know, you interviewed, yay, you, you know, I mean, what, what was some of that stuff like? I mean, were you doing that at the fader beforehand? Just like kind of pounding yeah. with them? Yeah, so uh, at the Fader, it was a tiny staff, and so we did everything. You know, I was like, uh, I would book the stories and then write them and then uh, hopefully get them edited. And then, you know, I w we were our own copy department and fact-checking and all, right. that, all that stuff. And so I brought that same mentality here. So I, uh, in, you know, my time at GQ proper, I would book musicians for covers or fashion features or profiles. Uh, sometimes I would write them. Sometimes other people would. Um, sometimes I would like uh, suggest another writer for it. And sometimes I would put myself up to write it. And, right. And often 
um, got to do that. But I have been always been I guess in the early days I I really wanted to write stuff myself, but increasingly over time as I took on more responsibility, I was just as open to um I don't know, I really got off on the thrill of making big stuff happen and was a little less tied to whether or not I was the one who would do the interview and write it. Um, so like booking the Beyonce cover that Amy Wallace wrote or Taylor Swift cover that Chuck Klosterman wrote, that was just as exciting to me as. Yeah. Um, and those are a big deal. Doing people. it myself. Yeah. My, like huge pop stars and like, maybe there are better people. Like, I, would you rather read me on Taylor Swift or Chuck Klosterman? Yeah. Like, well. It's very, the, there is there's a, a objective answer to that yeah and i'm like completely down for that um but it was just exciting for me to like try to tap into the right cultural moment like i booked a my favorite jay-z profile um is written by alex papadimus and that was a, a, a story that i spent forever trying to make happen it was one of the men of the year covers a while back and yeah. alex just wrote this incredible piece that i never could have written and i'm like completely at peace with that well, and that was one of the things too that you had talked from previous, you know, interviews and things where uh, you had said that Rappaport and some of the other guys. When you're at GQ, you're you're starting to focus more, at least for yourself and your career, on the on the, the book, the magazine, and how it looked. And that was something I didn't even ever think about. I mean, as I flipped through GQ, you know, um, Fred Woodward, who is who was the, the creative, director. yeah, design director yep. at the time. I had Still no is. idea. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, whom these like how this magazine looks and how this feels was really shaping on like where my eyes are drawn to. Yeah. And I'd never really put that together. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reason why I love uh, being the editor of GQ style so, so much is because my attention is really going to the architecture of the whole thing. And, and um, you know, what topics are we covering? How are we covering them? What is the editorial approach? So, you know, it's words, pictures, and design every time, but there are a million decisions and a million different directions that you can take that. And that's the stuff that's really exciting for me now, rather than being the one writing the piece and having my name on it. Right. Um, and that has been the case for several years now. I right. Got to the point. I mean, cause this, that, that was pre GQ style when you were doing that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It definitely just got to the point where that, like, like being the, uh, editor of manual and or like overseeing some of the fashion pages um from the editorial perspective not the styling perspective sure um was more exciting to me than writing and interviewing uh, right so and and i just like as i came to love doing that stuff more i stepped away from writing and felt much happier and realized that there are incredibly talented people that we pay to live in maine and north carolina and london and all kinds of things who are writers and they that's what they do. Right. And I was like very happy to let the pros do the, do the <laughs> writing. I mean, I still occasionally will write something, but I don't feel like that yeah. is really uh, my calling here. So you're at GQ for about eight years. Nine. Yeah. And then they make this announcement yep. that um, they're going. And th this, this to me is really interesting. And so like, the, before, I just want to pause on this for a second sure. is right around the time you know, the past few years, everyone's saying print is dying. Yeah. It's all about mobile. It's all about online. You know, I think in terms of uh, what Condé Nast was doing as a whole, I mean, I know Wired was really, you know, uh, they were re redoing their website and, you know, and there's all these tablet editions of magazines and, yep. and all this stuff. And so all of a sudden um, GQ is like, we're going to do another magazine, yeah, a print, print magazine. Yep. And then 
you get tasked with being the editor in chief of that. Yeah, I get honored with being the editor in chief. Yeah, yes, yeah. well, I mean, it's it's a huge opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. The, yeah, so we had been um, making this twice a year um, style guide, which was basically like a product focused addendum to the GQ monthly magazine. Mm -hmm. It had several names and was kind of an evolving side project. And, um, that was something I was editing. But when people would ask me what I'd do at GQ, I would forget to mention that it eventually became called, it came to be called GQ style. Um, but that was kind of like a small side project. And then, but it was really successful. It was great. Um, and it sold really well. It was expensive on newsstand. It had like fancy cover stock and all that. And so, Basically, what they decided to do was um, what Condé Nast decided to do was make GQ style into a proper magazine, make it four times a year, start from scratch. Like I don't really even talk about that uh, the the old GQ style anymore. Like my first our first issue, which came out in May with Robert Downey Jr. on the cover, is like the first issue of GQ style. So it's a fresh start. Um, <clears throat> but just the like it was really working, and and uh, there was clearly a hunger for basically an advanced course in style. Um, and so that's what we set out to create. And, and I sort of um, uh, started thinking about, like, well, what is the opportunity of GQ, which is this, like, the flagship of American fashion mm-hmm. um, from an editorial perspective? And then there are all these small, like, journal-y publications, a lot of which are very um, art-driven and very high fashion, basically. Um, right. And I feel like those are really for insiders. You know, those are for people in the creative fields in photography and fashion. So I felt that there was this huge open lane for guys who are ready for advanced fashion, but also want something um, that isn't almost like an art project. Right. Isn't like this twice a year journal. Yeah. Um, but that is you really, can count on it. It's It's always coming. Yeah. And that's really about getting dressed in the morning but in an elevated advanced way. Right. Um, uh, and so there just felt like there, and, and I think, you know, men's style at the beginning of this year was completely under editorialized. So yes. there was this big wide open lane I felt. And so myself, um, uh, after talking about this, uh, a ton with Jim Nelson and then also working on, well, what's the business opportunity here with Howard Mittman, who's the publisher of GQ and GQ style. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, the, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the thing we launched and set out to do. And so for the first issue, I was spending all this time thinking about like, okay, well, what does that mean? And so to me, the opportunity out there, uh, thinking also about drawing a clear line between, okay, what's GQ do and what does GQ style do? Because a lot of people at the beginning were like, well, how's it going to be different from GQ? Isn't GQ already a fashion magazine? Right. Once the first issue came out, those questions basically completely stopped, which I take to be um to mean that we successfully you know define the difference between the two even though there are of course similarities but basically it was like um uh high fashion with a focus not on handholding or or saying how to you know yeah. like not helping people get dressed in the morning but just giving them inspiration and new ideas and new energy here's what's going on um sh- it's like show rather than tell approach to, right. to fashion um and then art like serious art coverage, serious interior design coverage that isn't like uh, 101 at all. Um, world travel, 
uh, and just trying to both from like the the way the shoots look and where we shoot them and everything to um, uh, the coverage that we do to just acknowledge the fact that increasingly the world is a very small place. Uh, yeah. You know, it's nothing – it's not strange to call a friend and get the double ring because they're in Europe or to find out that somebody has moved to L.A. or that they've got an Airbnb in L.A. for three months and are out there working on a project and then are coming back or for people to be in Paris and London and um, – uh, Hong Kong or, or Tokyo or whatever the case may be, I felt like there was a class of people who would be willing to spend fourteen ninety nine on a beautiful magazine who were living this very new modern life, like not necessarily rich but like amazing resources and and a hunger for experiences and great access to the world right. so I wanted to make a magazine for those guys because I felt like there are a lot of us and it didn't exist yeah I mean. One of the things that you had touched on a little bit earlier when we were talking is you used the word niche. And yeah. I think, uh, and I don't want to sound too businessy, but like to really boil down to me why I've, you know, why I'm reading GQ style and I had stopped reading GQ. And also, and it really was a time issue. It wasn't even like, oh, it just wasn't the way that it could have been. It was, it was time. Mm -hmm. And also, I think for me, you know, I... <laughs> Sounds so lame for me to say, but like I, cons for it. I consider myself in the know in yeah. terms of fashion. Mm -hmm. And so when I was reading GQ, I was like, you know, that that's like your friend's dad needs to read that because he needs to know like what ties to wear. It's like, I know what ties to wear. I'm, I feel comfortable in my own clothes. I know what I want to do. And so in terms of like this millennial generation and these people who want to feel unique, and that something is made and crafted just for them. I mean, you look at all these other brands that are popping up that that's like, that's in their whole market, their whole marketing, like, you know, like Everlane, for example, just trying to make you feel really special and unique and in the know. Um, GQ style becomes that magazine. Um, and I'm not saying, uh, I'm saying that in the most positive way possible is that like, I was reading GQ style because I'm like, oh, this is like, I'm already past, like, I already know what ties to own. You know, but I want to see how much different can I look or how much more unique can I be? And I think that's something that you guys were really able to nail coming out of the gates. I mean, you know, you had you and uh, Mobilaji, who is one of the most like, you know, advanced, cool looking yeah. style guys. He's like the ever. master of personal style. Yeah. I mean, his own, but also how to how to take the, the subjects that we shoot in the magazine that he styles and like tap into who they are and then take them to some place that they couldn't have imagined for themselves. Right. Or that I could, frankly, that I couldn't imagine for them. It's only through his eyes. We call him the, Mark Anthony Green calls him the hands. Because it's like, boy, once the hands of Mobilaji get on them, you know, the, they come out transformed. And then, <laughs> then you have Noah Johnson, who yes. is, I think he's a phenomenal writer. I mean, yeah. he was he was over at Complex because he was my friend Lawrence's boss a bit for at, at the time. Yep. And, you know, comes from, you know, his dad's a phenomenal writer, but is also... Taste God, Noah Johnson. Yes, right? <laughs> Noah just has incredible taste and incredible understanding of what's going on and like where the friction is, where the where the interest is, uh, where the culture is moving. And that's what I really count on him for. Like in the holiday issue of GQ Style, which is our third issue with Kendrick on the cover. Kendrick on the cover in a fur. Which was, uh, yeah, it was killer. Um, <laughs> We sort of changed the first section of the magazine, which is like focused on style trends and added ceramics, uh, desk toys, like cool tabletop art objects, mm -hmm. design objects and, um, uh, smell goods. We called them just like incense, candles, 
fragrances, potpourri, all that stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I got some going in here. Yeah, right like now. the Palo trying, Santo. And... Yeah, absolutely. The Palo <laughs> Santo and a little Santa Maria novella or whatever. Yeah. Um, Noah is just like, yeah, this is the stuff that men are interested in right now. Like, yeah, they totally want to see the coolest new sweaters or whatever. And, and they want that and they know that we're going to give them that and we are going to give them that. But Noah's like, uh, I'm really, all my friends, when they're like traveling in LA, they're going, they're coming back with ceramics. Yeah. They're going to RTH. They're, they're going to RTH. Know. They're buying ceramics. They're like into cacti and houseplants and yeah. this is the wave. And so he um, does like this insane deep dive into that world and comes out with all the coolest stuff. And we got, you know. That is the kind of thing that's really exciting to me. And that is just like modern and fresh because like, look, men's interests are expanding. And that was that was kind yes. of exactly the idea of GQ style, right? Like men know their style. They know fashion. They know they, – they, they're, but they're looking for new ideas on the fashion front. But mm -hmm. also they're now more into – they want the fashion stuff, but they're what they really care about in, in the same way that they cared about clothes and the like hashtag menswear movement is their apartment. So we're yeah. going to give you like real interior design coverage, not like here's how to move past Ikea or not. Here's <laughs> how to look, make it look like you, you, you don't live in a dorm room or here's how to like be able to hold your head up high if you bring a girl back to your apartment. But like, how do you actually make a place that is as dialed as the clothes that you wear? Yeah. And um, I think like with, with GQ at the time, GQ would do those stories and they were great and there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But I, as GQ style, it's like this is the super advanced section of it. Yeah, and this but, is. In I would say though that there are there are millions of American men out there who want exactly the the pitch that GQ is giving to them. Mm -hmm. But there were there was another smaller tier of us. Yeah, who are ready for something else, and that's what we're doing. So you know, the two are working together. There are a lot of guys out there who would be like, um. You know, man, you guys are going deep on credenzas and I don't know or care what you're talking about. <laughs> and respect to those guys that we have a magazine for them. And for the guy who like knows what a credenza is and also wants to like get into which one he should buy. Yeah. Like welcome to GQ we're style. Gonna, yeah. We're going to talk about reclaim wood and yeah. walnut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're ready to go on all that <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, ceramic, like a, like a straight face, six page ceramics experience. Which is funny because uh, a friend of mine was just in Japan not too long ago, and my number one request was like, dude, can you bring me back some of those cool Japanese ceramics? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Even the coolest ones being made in Brooklyn are made by Brooklynites who were born in Japan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's that, that's the kind of thing that we were, we've been setting out to do. And, and the beauty of it is like giving all that stuff real space um, because I guess what – the opportunity that we had in the very strange idea of launching a print magazine in 2016 was to build it from scratch in full acknowledgement, awareness of, and deference to the internet. Mm -hmm. So the cadence of it is four times a year. So we're going to, every three months, we're going to drop like this big statement yeah. for that season basically but there's still constant engagement online yeah which you guys are crushing by the way thank you very yeah. much yeah so we use gqstyle.com and then all of our social feeds to speak to our audience and and to be honest we're still developing an audience to develop our audience every day mm -hmm. but then four times a year we drop this like statement for the season um and uh, I just kind of like threw out as much of the traditional mag magazine structure anything that I felt like wasn't 
relevant in the time of the internet, knowing that we all like myself included, I get up and I turn, obviously grab my phone. Like everybody, I don't get up and reach for a magazine and I'm not going to make a magazine that pretends that anybody does that anymore. Yeah. So that was the opportunity. And that's why it was so like refreshing and cool. And we felt like viable from a business perspective to be launching a print magazine in 2016 because we can make one that is designed for 2016. So that's what we did. There's no like front of the, the first section of the magazine doesn't like have news bits in it and, yeah. it, and it never will because you're never ever going to come to GQ style for that. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. You will come to our website for it. So, yeah. Um, so that was the idea, but part of it was in throwing out so much stuff that I didn't feel was relevant anymore. We got like all these pages to do, uh, to go really go in depth because if you're going to be in a, a magazine that's like about advanced, uh, you know, advanced lifestyle things across categories, then you got to be able to like really go in deep on it. So we do 20 page stories all the time. Like every issue, like we did a um, photo portfolio that was the living legends of jazz. Um, and it was like a 26 page um just exploration of all these jazz greats, or we do 16 page interior design stories. We've got a car story that Noah Johnson edited that I'm extremely proud of vintage car story coming up in the spring issue of GQ style, which comes out in mid February. So it's like a month away. We're sending it out of the door today and tomorrow. Nice. Um, that is, I can't, it's like 18 pages on this like very specific take on very specific vintage cars that are like the, the shit right now so you know we're really going in depth and so that's what we're looking for is like people who uh are really ready for you know vintage cars and interior design and ceramics like in depth yeah i mean before there was gq style um at least you know for me one of the things i loved and was obsessed with was all of the cool japanese magazines yeah like free and easy totally um men's x and what I loved about them, obviously I can't read Japanese, right. but what I loved about them is how they would break down individual items and looks. Yeah. And I flipping through GQ style, I don't know if it was just, um, you know, obviously tons of other people realize how good this is and want to do it too, but it was, I had always wanted a magazine that would be able to highlight and showcase individual objects and things the yeah. way that these Japanese magazines did. And GQ style started doing that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I I was never like a hardcore reader or collector of Japanese mangas, but I have definitely seen them and was looking at them even more closely in the run up to launching. Yeah, and basically as I was creating the structure of GQ Style, well, um, interviewing Noah and Mobilaji and Sam Hine and hiring these, just in those early days of, of figuring out like what exactly how's this going to work and what's it going to look like, which was basically a lot of conversations with the GQ design director who also designs gq style fred woodward right that was when we were like architecting the thing i guess in terms of shared resources yes you don't have to get with any specific stuff or names or anything no i can explain it pretty easily the so before um i was doing all the goofy stuff i do now i worked in the music industry and i worked for the beggars group and at beggars um you know there was 4ad xl rough trade matador all good labels great oh my god it was some of the best time in my life and uh, but everything was shared resources in terms of, um, you know, there was PR shared resources occasionally, a lot of marketing was, there was like the beggars group marketing team. And, you know, so maybe they'd be working on an XL record or a 4AD and is 
is that similar here in terms of that? Because, you know, you had named, I think you've actually named every single person that works for GQ style. Almost. Okay. (laughs) So like four or five guys. Yeah. Basically, um, uh, there's me and then four. So it's me and then Mobaji Dawadu is the fashion director, Noah Johnson, senior editor. Uh, I just hired Lily Guxinen from Vogue. She comes to us from a women's magazine. You may yes, have heard she of was, called Vogue. Yeah. <laughs> and she was, uh, she worked under Anna Wintour, right? Yeah. She, she was in Anna's office uh, for two years and then spent two years in the features department. So she just came on very recently as digital editor and is our first set of hands dedicated to GQstyle.com, which is like very uh, exciting and very necessary. Nice. Because we were doing it by hook, crook, and at 3 a.m. <laughs> prior to her arriving here. And we'll continue to be doing it that way because the internet. Uh, doesn't does sleep. not sleep at all. It's a hungry, <laughs> hungry beast. Um, but I'm very excited to have her here. And then the real, uh, our, I call him our future boss, Sam Hine. So Sam, um, Sam Hine rules. Yeah. He's the man. Mobilaji will tell you he's, he's, he's the flyest of, of them all. Uh, Sam is 23 years old. Uh, he was an intern, uh, for Antonio at Eidos. Yep. Uh, and then was working at Proper Cloth when I met him through a referen- a referral from my mom's best friend from, from grade school. He's <laughs> friends with his grandparents. Okay. Anyway. Because he's a Midwest guy too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's Chicago. So yeah. randomly uh, I met Sam Hine and I was like, how do I give this guy money before he gets to the elevator? <laughs> to just like make him sign something we'll just like prick, prick our fingers and promise to work together in blood um so anyway sam hine is assistant editor and just a beast on uh both in the magazine and on the website so anyway that was fine <laughs> long story short there's <laughs> there's five of us that are full-time gq style and then from there it's shared resources so the design director the photo director the right. um uh the the operations of the fashion department like jim the collaboration between jim moore and mobilaji has been just like one of the coolest things uh for me in the past year because you know it's only through the system of jim's fashion closet that we're able to do what we do um and then like mark anthony green who has written uh, a couple of our um best performing stories uh, is the style editor. So he has me and Adam Rappaport's old title at GQ now. Um, and he's also the GQ style guy. Yeah. He works on, he, I like beg, steal and borrow time from him. Nick Marina. There's all these different guys and girls on GQ who just contribute to GQ style. So basically we, there are five of us who work on it full time and then we like get gotcha. a lot of help. Uh, I to- mean, it feels like, having such a small and nimble team at least like you know speaking from when i was at beggars you're able to to because everything is so fast now right yeah you're able to just act immediately when things need to change i mean yeah. i mean how how much has that helped you or or is there do you still have to jump through hoops to you know say change something on the website i mean no no hoops uh what's good is that yeah the good thing about being small is it's all like uh right here in front of us Right. Uh, the hard thing is just like resource and time. There's stuff that I would love to do, like especially special projects. Um, it's been cool. GQ style has been embraced very quickly. I mean, like more more quickly than I ever could have really imagined by just like the fashion community, the men's style community, the the design community. And there have been all these opportunities coming up, and I just have to be very selective about them because we are, are a small team. Yeah. Um, and so some of that, so there are times when it's frustrating to be small, but on the whole, I do feel like we have a very modern setup. 
um, which is this four times a year print, big print statement, the website, the social feeds, um, and just a small team. You know, we're like, uh, this is a, for, for Condé Nast, this is a pretty affordable operation (laughs) and and we're, we're doing good business. So I'm very proud of that. And, and I like that, you know. If we were gonna, if if there was this suddenly this opportunity to just like add a bunch of people, uh, I would probably do it, but make it all digital, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, because right now you run the Instagram, right? I mean, you yeah. are GQ style. Online. I, I am. Yeah. If you're on Instagram, I am the GQ <laughs> stuff for better and worse for sure. But it's good. I am the GQ style Instagram. I mean, I think to 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 just elaborate for that on a second. Uh, elaborate for that. There is. Uh, like bands, all right. So like you'll have a, a a band's Twitter account, yeah, or a band's Instagram account. But people don't really follow the band the way they would follow the singer of the band. And not right. that GQ style is a band, but it's like you want, especially now with like millennials and stuff, you want to be connected to the people that are making the decisions, to the life. Like I want to know like what is Will Welch doing in the morning? Like what's his routine? What's you know? I mean, that's obviously why you're on this podcast. Right. But it's just like, and I think that you are running it is is awesome i mean obviously your your time is valuable and you can't do it but like even if it's just quick things when you guys were sitting in the car listening to the new john mayer track I mean, yeah. that that's cool stuff yeah that it was really fun I, my first real dive into instagram stories for gq style was at we just got back from the fashion shows in florence pity and florence and then milan in paris yeah and we we went pretty i went pretty all in on instagram stories it's great um and it was really fun it just felt like I, I've enjoyed running. I like running the Instagram myself because it started out as like focus grouping for the magazine. Like I would post images. We hadn't even shot anything yet. And I was like posting archival images and different stuff I would find. And, um, you know, you can just get instant feedback about what's connecting and what's not right. Watching the audience build, seeing what's, what worked and what didn't. Um, but then, yeah, I, I do think there's a, we're in an age where people are not that, you know, I feel like if you talk to some, I, I, we're we're getting increasingly to a time where people are into brands, but what they're really into is the personalities behind the brands. Yes, and so, um, and then I happen to like work with this team of really g- cool personalities. Um, so, putting a, ourselves out there feels like a, a natural thing to do, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's been fun. And the other benefit of doing it myself on Instagram stories is that means you're looking at like Mobilaji and Noah, not at me because <laughs> the camera is pointing away from me. So it's like sort of a double win as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, you're looking good. I mean, you got, thanks man. You are wearing a brown suit. I am. Yeah. Which is a, a big departure from the, I think maybe the first time I met you was like you and Andrew Richdale and you were like blacked out. Yeah, like, and not not in the terms of being unconscious, but like wearing all black. <laughs> when I met you, you were completely blackout. You said all <laughs> sorts of gibberish. No, yeah, I was. I and I still. I don't know, man. Like GQ style, Mobilaji, the the things that we're doing are affecting me in the same way that I hope that they're affecting readers. You know, yeah. Like this project has changed the way I dress, changed the way I think, changed the way. Um, my living room looks soon. It will change the way this office looks. You know, it's like it, it really, um, uh, it, it works on you a little bit. So I, I, I still wear a lot of black, but I've been changing it up a little bit. Well, it's looking good. Thank I've been, you. I've been trying to get a, I had a brown suit cause I wanted to look like dirty Harry. Yep. 
but I realized his suit was like polyester. Right. And so now I'm trying to find like cheap cloth brown suits. And Dude, get, you should get a polyester suit. That's I'm I trying think, to. I think you'll be about 18 to 24 months ahead of the curve if you do that right now <laughs> yeah I've, i got my corduroy suit and then i saw it in, uh, i saw it in the prado i just got a corduroy suit myself yeah yeah i nice. ordered one from uh sid mashman you can't really find i think next season next next by by fall this will be different but this fall you couldn't find a black corduroy suit did no. not did not exist oh so, you, you got yours in black yeah oh that's sick yeah so i called matt lambert who uh is the uh, trusted lieutenant of Sid Mashburn, and we we dialed one up, so that was fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to, you know, want to be conscious of your time here, and and I yours. <laughs> Thank you so so much for coming on. Um, is there any other stuff like you want to add or, or plug or mention or anything? Um, I, you know, I feel like we've we've done the Lord's work here. I would just <laughs> I would love if if people who haven't seen GQ style would check it out. Like you don't even, you don't have to buy it or subscribe. Just like, um, cruise by a newsstand or next time you're in the airport, just look at it. Take a follow on the gram, follow me on the gram and, and <laughs> look at it and tell me what you think. Um, you can DM us or, or, or leave a comment or whatever. But, um, if, if people have a look just to see if it's for them, then that's more than I could I could ask for. Right on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Man, thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, see ya. Peace. You've been listening to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. A huge thanks again to Will Welch for coming on. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. It helps get the word out. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast, or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.